I'd like to invite you all to open up your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to be in the second chapter. I'd like to read verses 1 to 12. It's page 807 in your pew Bible. And then after I read the scripture, uh, I'd like us to sing We Three Kings together, and then I'll preach. So let this reading help prepare our hearts to sing. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they'd offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's stand and sing together. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, now I ask you please to make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. It's good to see you this morning. I don't know if you noticed this as as I read the text this morning, but you know it was just one just one simple question. And apart from that one question, none of the turmoil of our text, none of the toddler boys in Bethlehem who would later be killed. Neither of these things would have happened. 
in our whole passage. There's just one quote that we have from the Magi. Only one thing that the Magi say. Where is he who was born the king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That's it. Where is he who's born king of the Jews? Now compared with uh, Luke's gospel and his accounts of Jesus' birth, Matthew includes very few quotes from individuals as he tells of Jesus' birth. And what that means is that the quotes that we have from Matthew that he includes, they are obviously very, very significant. And here this question, where is he who was born king of the Jews? It brought the whole leadership of Jerusalem together, those who were normally friends and normally foes alike, as if this was some grave threat to the city and to the nation. The question made its way all the way to King Herod. And Herod called a special meeting of his chief priests and of the scribes to learn where Christ was to be born. And then the text says he met secretly with the wise men to learn when the star appeared. And then he sent them to identify the child and report directly back to him when he said, you have found the child. It was all so hush, hush. Please note that it was the Magi's question. It wasn't their explanation about the star that got Herod's attention. As we just sang in We Three Kings, as Christians, we were especially taken up with the star, as the wise men were taken up with the star, and there are all kinds of questions about what the star was. But Herod and the Jewish leaders could have cared less. At least that's the way that Matthew reports it. They had no interest in this star, except for the fact that Herod asked one question. He asked when it appeared, and that was only to help determine Jesus' age. That would help him identify who he might be among the young children in Bethlehem. But other than that, the star is only remarkable to the wise men. And when it reappears as they left Jerusalem and headed toward Bethlehem, they were the only ones, apparently, who took notice. You know, Matthew's point is actually pretty clear. That the star was a sign for the Magi. And whatever it was, and however they experienced it, that star was for them. And other than drawing attention to the star for its impact on the wise men, Matthew considers it actually no further. Now, I do want to say, for those of you who, like last week, may have thought, I'm a Grinch and I'm taking Christmas away from you. I promise that on Christmas Eve, I'm going to address the question of the star. But not this morning. The question is, what does Matthew focus our attention on? What sign really mattered? What were the Jews concerned to know about? And the answer is that what Matthew focuses our attention on, what the Jews were concerned about, the answer is the prophets. The answer is the Holy Scriptures. The Jews had received revelations from God in words. 
and the Magi had not. Now there is an interwoven history between the Persians and the Jews that dates back to the 5th century B.C., to the time of Nehemiah, the time of Ezra, the time of Esther. And if the Magi actually were from Persia, modern-day Iran, as many think, they may well have had in their culture, in their, in their basic knowledge, a, a distant memory of the promised Jewish Messiah. They may have even had a, a more explicit or specific memory of Daniel the prophet who wrote about the coming of Christ. But as idolaters, they had no access to the scriptures. There's no way a rabbi would ever have turned a sacred scroll over to pagan. And not only did they not have scriptures, they weren't students of scriptures either, even if they had had them. They were students. They were students of the stars. And so revealing truth in terms they could recognize, revealing truth in terms they could understand, God messaged them from the night sky concerning Jesus' birth. Now, I know all of us agree that God can do whatever he wants. But the Magi as stargazers meant the Magi, in all probability, as astrologers. And we ask the question, doesn't, doesn't the Bible condemn astrology? Doesn't the Bible condemn occult practices like contacting the dead or seeking knowledge from the spirit world? And the answer, of course, is yes. But it's also the case that in exceptional circumstances, the Old Testament records that God did reveal his word. He did speak truth through a false prophet, Balaam, even through his donkey. He later brought dead Samuel to the attention of a medium, the witch of Endor. Yet in those very rare cases when this happened, these exceptional cases, the impact of God's revelations through those occultic means was to destroy confidence in occult or occultism. Destroy confidence, confidence in idolatry and to redirect people to himself and to his word which he had spoken. And I think that's what we see here. Astrologers were known to worship stars. Yet these magi, after seeing his star, came to worship Christ and pledged their loyalty to him. And as remarkable as that star might have been, the sign, though, that is in our passage is a far greater sign than the star. And it is, as I said, it is the Hebrew Scriptures. The chief priests and the scribes answered Herod's inquiry as to where the Messiah was to be born by saying, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written in the prophets. For so it is written in the prophets. Eleven times, Matthew says that in his gospel, about five times, some version or another, within the birth narratives themselves. So it was written, so the prophet said, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little to be among the class or the clans of Judah, from you shall come one from me, one who will be the ruler of Israel. Now I want you to notice something about that prophecy. I think I cited it a little bit differently than your ESV translates it. But I was uh, citing the same, the same Hebrew words. I want you to notice something about this prophecy. Like so many other prophecies about Christ, this one also, this one also is in two parts. 
And the first part of the prophecy is a sign of recognition. It includes a sign of recognition that tells us how we can recognize when the Christ is born. And here we read of his birth in Bethlehem. In Isaiah 7, we read of his conception in a virgin. We read prophecies that tell us he would be from the tribe of Judah, that he would be a descendant of David, that he would enter Jerusalem riding a donkey, that he would suffer horribly, that he would be mocked, that he would die, that he would rise. All these prophecies are very significant. So when they happened to him, when they happened, all these things came true and happened to Jesus. People could understand that he really is the Christ. And many of the signs within these prophecies, embedded in these prophecies, they are supernatural. And they are amazing. And they are wonderful in their own right. But the prophets did not end with these signs. They began with these signs. So we know how to recognize the Savior of the world. But these signs of recognition were embedded in prophecies that went on to underscore the certainty of Christ's reign. The certainty of his reign. And by this I mean Jesus' universal reign. A reign of righteousness, a reign of peace over the nations after he subdued all of his enemies, every enemy, his reign. So in Micah, beyond telling us of Messiah's birthplace, the prophet declared Jesus' power, the Messiah's majesty. He declared the scope of his reign. Just in the verses which follow Micah 5, 2, we read, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the world, for he shall be our peace. King Herod adamantly opposed the news getting out about Jesus' birth, the birth of the king of the Jews, because, you know, if word spread about that, and people actually believed it, it could mean the end of Herod as as king. It might even mean the end of his life, because Herod was a puppet of Rome. He was an imposter king. He'd been handpicked by the Roman emperor. He was no descendant of the tribe of Judah, let alone of the line of David. his, his, His mother was... I believe, from uh, Arabia. He was half Idumean. He had no claim legitimately to be called the king of Israel at all or the king of the Jews. And at some level, Herod knew and he understood the connection between the prophetic sign of recognition of the Messiah's birth and the certainty of his reign. He understood that. And so in his twisted mind, he schemed that if he could suppress or even destroy the sign, the principal sign, the sign, the major sign, the greater sign, I'm talking about the birth of the child in Bethlehem, if he could erase that, if he could just smudge that out, not talking about the star, then he could eliminate the certainty of his reign. Eliminate the sign, eliminate his reign. Of course, murder would be particularly apt for that, I suppose. The Lord 
had told Jerusalem, uh, I'm sorry, the Lord had told Jeremiah this. I watch over my word to perform it. What a great verse, Jeremiah 1.12. What a great verse for all of us to memorize. He said, I watch over my word to perform it. Can you say that with me? I watch over my word to perform it. And I understand that many in our own times of deny, they suppress the Messiah's identity. I had sort of a striking experience this week. I mean, a very normal kind of thing. I was having lunch with Tom Sybeck. We were at Les Charles. The uh, El Salvadorian restaurant here in, in Wheaton have just nice thin tortilla chips, by the way. I really like it. So we were sitting at a, we were sitting at a table, and we're having our chips and salsa, and the restaurant has a bar, and of course it has a TV over the, over the bar, and the TV was on. And I heard, as I was talking with Tom, I, saw, I heard in my ear someone speaking the name of Christ, speaking about the Savior. And what struck me was that what I was hearing was, was so beautiful and so sincere. Um, and, and it was just so clear. And then I heard hymns of praise being sung to Christ. I'm thinking, now wait a minute, Billy Graham's dead. This can't be a Billy Graham crusade. It didn't dawn on me at the time that it was the funeral for the late President George Bush. But I was moved in that space to hear what I was hearing because I never hear this in the public spaces of our country anymore. I never ever hear it and yet here it was in a television over a bar and it sounded so beautiful to me and so wonderful to me I go to Muslim countries and I hear prayers being offered multiple times a day you know throughout every day I drive I drive I fly on an airplane owned by uh, an Islamic uh, nation, and along the movie set and the seat in front of me is included this option that I can hear the Quran being sung if I want to pick that option. I see this in other countries, but in our country there is a suppression. In our nation, seriously, there is an undue silence. And I told the server... I said, I just want you to know how much I appreciate hearing about Christ in this restaurant. I want you to know how much I appreciate hearing Christian songs. And she lit up and smiled. And she said, sir, you can stay here as long as you want. (laughs) But the truth is that whether we hear this joyful news or whether it is repressed, the news of the sign fulfilled. Folks, it doesn't matter. The king of the Jews has been born in Bethlehem and his reign is as certain as his birth. Now that's a message for us at Christmas. Those wonderful signs of recognition that were embedded in the Messianic prophets have been fulfilled. Fulfilled to confirm the certainty of those prophecies in their entirety. And it is only a matter of time. You remember the, uh, the prophet Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is that later prophet, called one of the minor prophets because it's a shorter book. 
And it starts out with he's complaining to God. And he's talking about also actually the aftermath of a birth. After the birth of Israel, through the most remarkable exodus from bondage into the promised land, the promise that God had made had never really been fully realized. It never was. I mean, the closest Israel came to the amazing covenant promises um, being completely fulfilled was in the reign probably of David. And now things were really bad in Judea or in Judah. So he's complaining and the Lord comforts him and he comforts him this way. The Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. So he may run who reads it. In other words, you can run by it and read it. It's that plain. It's like driving down Georgia Avenue. You can see the sign and read it even when you're going 70 miles an hour. He said, for the vision awaits an appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It will not deceive you. If it seems slow, you wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Then he added this statement regarding the evil, the wicked, whom he'd been writing about. Behold, the soul, his soul, is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by what? Faith. Where do we have that quoted? Romans. Where does it come from? Habakkuk. But the righteous will live by faith. We look to the fulfillment of the prophecies in their entirety. Of all the events in Jesus' life, apart from the resurrection, of course, of all those events in Jesus' life that led up to his resurrection, none of them is more full of his future, of the promise of his future reign than his birth. None is richer with the promise of his future reign than his birth. Matthew and Luke wrote their accounts to direct us past his birth to his eternal reign. Even in our passage, the wise men bringing Jesus gifts after seeing God's glory in the heavens especially points us forward to that time when the nations will bring their bounty, their gold, their frankincense, their myrrh, their equivalents before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I would close this message to you this morning simply in this way. Keep this in mind, that as amazing and as wonderful as the star must have been to the Magi in the way that it guided them into the truth of Christ, that star cannot hold a candle compared to the scriptures that have been given to us to guide us into all truth. And if we pursue where they lead us as eagerly as the Magi pursued the star where it guided them, we too will find ourselves deeply provoked, worshiping Jesus of Nazareth as our Savior also. And by your faith, you will truly know life indeed. Amen. Please pray with me. Father, I want to thank you for your mercy and your goodness to us. I thank you for this portion of your word that you provide to us.
And it is a wonderful and blessed thing to have it. It's blessed. It's greater than any, any orb that has ever shone in heaven. It's, uh, it's greater than the star that guided the Magi. It is, it is the constant burning bush that is in our own hands, that is before us in our own lives, where we meet you, where we can study what you have said. We can study what you have promised us. We can form our own opinions, our own views. We can come to our own convictions. We don't have to accept the distortions and the ignorance of this world. And we can worship Christ. And how we thank you for your word. And how we pray that by your spirit we would be as responsive as the Magi. And also, Lord, um, as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves in this present age even as they tricked that fox, Herod. And we thank you and pray these things through Christ. Amen.